Turn to Acts chapter 13. Picking up in verse 13, leaving off from, from where Brent was last week. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. It's a lot of P words. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and they sat down. And after reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. I want to make a couple um, observations here. Um, what do we see Paul doing always? There's a pattern, right? And we hear Paul talk about this in the book of Romans particularly, that the gospel is first to the, and then to the Gentile, right? And we see this pattern. Every time he enters a city, every time he enters a new place, he makes a beeline, first and foremost, to the place where the Jews are, to preach the gospel to them. And so this is no different here. He comes into town. Uh, he he goes into the synagogue, the place of, of Jewish worship. And um, one of the things that's really interesting, there's a couple, I think, interesting things we get from this. One is that they read the law and the prophets. Now, that may not mean much to you right now, but when we get down this text into his sermon a little bit, uh, this is going to have a lot of meaning. Every week when they got together, they read the law, which is basically Moses's, uh, the writings of Moses, and the prophets, um, which was somewhere in the prophets, and he even would include something like the psalm, a lot of the psalms, okay? Um, so make a note of that. The other thing that's interesting is when they're done with this, they ask for a public word of encouragement. And I don't think of Jewish services that way. I think of them as extremely stiff. You've got a couple dudes who are the professionals, right? And then kind of like our churches today, you know what I mean? Where you've you got a, a few people handling business and everyone else is a spectator. It wasn't that way. It interests me that they asked these guys who they didn't really know, I'm sure they knew of, to speak a word of encouragement publicly to the people. And it kind of reminded me, it's not probably at all like what we do here during praise and prayer, but it kind of reminded me of how, uh, how important it is for us to come together, not as spectators, but in a relational community together, a relational gospel community where we can have words of encouragement for each other where we can pray for each other. I think it's such a, a wonderful thing. And, and the, the funny thing about this one, what happened is, is when the dispersion happened in Jerusalem, all the Jews got shot out, right, out of Jerusalem. And so they started creating synagogues in every city, in every place they would go to. And so you had this dispersion of Jews that would travel to different cities. And when they would recognize that there was a stranger from another region, uh, from what I understand, from what I read this week, they would, that's, that's where this context comes from, is they would notice that they had some Jewish brothers, uh, from another region, from another synagogue, and basically say, is there anything you want to impart to us? And that's what's going on. The weird thing is that I don't think they have any idea what they're in for right now. You know what I mean? I mean, Paul, Paul's going to give them a word of encouragement. And this is basically going to run us right into the rest of the text today is this sermon. We're going to read now the word of encouragement. 
Uh, and it's basically going to be a history lesson for them, a Jewish history lesson. Okay, Even though there's a few things we're going to stop and, and look at along the way. So, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, he said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. Yes, we got to stop here. That's a funny phrase. That God put up with them in the wilderness. If you're at all familiar with that narrative, you would know that, that he did. Like these guys were boogers, you know. And he put up with quite a bit. And what I want to do today is I want to deal with three specific points of encouragement out of this sermon. Okay. And this is going to be the first one. It is an encouragement that God puts up with us. Now, I know this is bad exposition, because this really right here has nothing to do with us. He's talking to these guys, but I'm going to do it anyway, (laughs) because I saw something this week in the news that was really strong, and I think once in a while, we need to be reminded of what we're doing in here and how we are to conduct ourselves with each other while we're in here. Encouragement number one, it's an encouragement that God puts up with us. What that means is he suffered their manner. He suffered them. He endured their conduct. He put up with them. Did you know that God puts up with you? Every single day. In in the wilderness. As you're on the way to the promised land. Every day. And he puts up with me. And I have no idea why. But he does. The God of the universe strives with us. He listens to us. He works with us. He watches over us. He goes back for us sometimes. He cares for us. He deals with our gripes and our complaints. Maybe not with our mouths, but definitely with our heads and with our hearts. He slows down for us. He picks us up. He dusts us off. And and a lot of the time, I don't know about you, he just flat carries me. He suffers our manners and he endures our conduct. And I love him all the more for it. Because I am slow and I am sinful and I am stubborn. And I know it. The reason it is important for us to know this truth is because knowing this is what propels us into putting up with others. I went fishing with a friend the other day, and and he's a dude that I love. And I just don't see him that much anymore because he doesn't go to church anymore. I think he's a believer. I believe that he knows the Lord. And we were out on his boat, like both of us, like I had him trapped on the boat, you know, for like three hours. I started in right away, just kind of poking him here and poking him there. Like, why why don't I see you anymore? Like, why don't we worship together anymore? Because it does, it kills me. He was kind of hoeing and humming and kind of laughing it off and shrugging it off and like not giving me nothing. And finally, 
when we were at the end of our night, uh, we're heading back to the dock, it was getting dark, and it was just quiet. And just out of that quietness, he said, you know why I don't go to church? And I said, why? And he said, because I can't put up with other Christians. And I thought, I understand that. Like, I, I, I get that. <laughs> now, I want us to know this. It is clear that we do not have the patience that God has. Okay? Can I get an amen? Amen. We do not have the long-suffering that God has. We do not possess the kind of love that God has for us, for others. But the bottom line is this. For those of us who know God and carry a deep gratitude toward Him for having these things toward us, can see the hypocrisy in not extending these same things to others. Our greatest hypocrisy, guys, is not that we represent the righteousness of God and then go out and blow it in sin. Our greatest hypocrisy as believers is thinking that we deserve something from God that other people don't. The hypocrisy goes far beyond just Christian to Christian. It continues also into Christians to those who are completely and utterly lost, to those who are where we used to be. And and this week, for the first time in a long time, I saw a story in the media that displayed strong Christianity, strong gospel Christianity. Now, we see Christians once in a while come across the media, little story here, little story there. It encourages the nation for about five minutes, and then we go on to who we always are. This one was, this one was strong, and this is the reason I'm kind of spending time on this is because it was the gospel in action. It was the way that you and I are supposed to be with everybody around us, putting up, quote-unquote, with people around us, whether they're like us or not like us. And you all know the story. I think it went down in Dallas with a female police officer that claimed she was so exhausted she walked into the wrong apartment thinking it was hers and saw a man sitting on the couch who didn't belong there because it was her apartment, and just opened fire on him and killed him. Here's the worst part about this. Ready? She was white and a police officer, and he was black. And we all know how ridiculously sensitive we've all become of this whole racial thing that we have going on. And what this young man would do in the courtroom killed that idea. That race, color, has anything to do with any of it. We all have a bigger problem with that. With, 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 with what's going on in here. There's greater problems than that. Okay? I'm not saying racism doesn't exist. I'm saying we have played it up so much. And what this dude did was give, gave a lesson that we all need. And so the man who was shot, it was his, I think, younger brother that sat on the stand that week. And you can see it on him. I mean, when you're, if you watch the video of it, this dude is, uh, he's undone. Like, he's uncomfortable. He's going like this with his collar. He's sweating. But what you notice right away as he's talking is that there is nothing but sincerity coming out of this guy. There is no hypocrisy in this young man and what he's saying. And what he's doing is he's addressing this lady 
who's about to be sentenced that shot his brother. And typically what we see in these situations is the rant and the rave of racism, which I think is what everybody was hoping for. And instead, he said, I am completely devastated that my brother is gone, that you shot my brother and I do not have my brother back. But he said, I do not mean any evil at all towards you. He even said at one point, I hope that you even get to walk. He said, we all have done bad things. We all deserve punishment for who we are and what we've done. He then said, I forgive you. He said, not only that, but what you need most is to come to Christ. And if you ask Him, He'll forgive you. And there's love, there's nothing but love coming out of it. Like, it's one thing to share the gospel and using the right words. It's another thing to share the, the truth of the gospel with no hypocrisy. With love being the driving force. This dude's putting up with this stranger that's not at all like him, that took something very dear from him, and he doesn't even know her. And all he cares about is that she gets what he's found. No, this is the most amazing part. You have to come. He looks up at the judge at one point and says, can I go hug her? And there's just crickets. Like, no one knows what to do with that. Like, I don't think that judge has ever heard something like that. And about five seconds go by, and he goes, can I hug her, please? And you finally hear the judge say, yes, you may. And this dude gets off that bench, he walks across, the, and you see this lady come out from the corner of the TV screen and just throws herself on him, just collapses on him, weeping. They're embraced. She's weeping, and they're embraced for like a minute. And they're saying things back and forth to each other. I would love to hear what that was. And then a more amazing thing happened. The judge gets up, leaves the bench, goes into her chambers, grabs her own personal Bible, brings it out, and gives it to her. We hear cool stories sometimes in the news, but we often don't see gospel, true gospel, in action. And and this week, our nation got to. That lady got sentenced to 10 years. But the guilt of her life was forgiven that day for an eternity. This is what it looks like when a Christian puts up with people around them. I mean, you and I have experienced this. We love the gospel and we're amazed at Christ because this is the reality of how he is with us. We are such a depraved people. And he strives with us every day. This is why I love him. Because he first loved me. I know there's that phrase that we've heard over and over again. Uh, I think I've used it a few times. I've given Jesus countless reasons not to love me, but he's not paying attention to any of them. <laughs> he's putting up with me. He's, he's striving with me. He's enduring. He's enduring with me every day. Let's endure with each other. I mean, when I, when I think of something like that, how can you not put up with me? Like, I, I know, I know I can be a jerk. Like, I, I, I know that I'm an imperfect, sometimes I don't put up with myself very well, okay? Like, I, I squirm, you know? But after, after you, after you, you just let your mind meditate 
on what it is that God does with us on a daily basis, how can you not put up with me? How can I not put up with you? How can I not come and and do whatever I can for you because Jesus laid it all on the line for me? Paul's reminding these guys that God delivered them and their fathers out of impossible situations, out of bondage into a promised land. Paul's reminding them that God has been big for them. Verse 20. All this took about 450 years, and after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. And then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. And of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus As promised, God is a promise keeper. We go to conferences that say promise keepers, but there is only one promise keeper that's ever existed, and it ain't you or I. It is God. If you read something in the Word of God that is from God, that is a promise, no matter what the world looks like around you, no matter what the landscape of our government is and the nation is, know this, that promise will come to pass. God will make good on absolutely everything that He has said. Whether it takes 450 years or whether it takes 2,000, God will do all that He has promised. This is a great comfort. Especially when I start looking at my own salvation. Let's keep going. Before His coming... John had proclaimed, this is John the baptism, a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me is coming uh, the one whose sandals, uh, whose feet, sorry, whose sandals of whose, let me try this again, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. I've been reading that all week and I've messed it up all week every time I read it. It's bizarre. I don't know why. So brothers, verse 26, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath fulfilled by condemning them. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, They asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and they laid him in a tomb. Not only, basically Paul's saying, not only did you guys miss your expected Messiah by not understanding the prophecy, which you you read every week when you come together, but you helped fulfill. You were actually main players in the prophecy by rejecting and killing him. Now, my first thought is, when I read these scriptures right here, and other scriptures like it, my first thought is, concerning Israel and the Jew, how could these guys be so stupid? My second thought is, how could I be so smart? Answer? I'm not. These guys were so educated in the scriptures, right? I mean, I read them every week. 
These dudes were smart. They were intelligent. They were the chosen people with like crazy amounts of miraculous history. I'm a detached Gentile with none of that. Why do I know what I know? Why me? Paul's going to answer that. Do you remember what Jesus said to the Jewish leaders uh, in John 5.39? He said, you search the Scriptures because in them you think you have life, but it is them that speak of me, yet you will not come to me that you may have life. There is a vast difference between knowing something, guys, and believing something. Vast. There is a vast difference between knowing something and trusting in something. There is a vast difference between knowing something and receiving something for yourself. Please, please, please do not come here week after week to see who is preaching. Do not come here to grade the sermon like your judges on American Pastor, to critique the service, to hope that someone else heard that message because they really needed to hear what was just said. None of us do that. Come here to believe and receive for yourself. God is concerned for you. He's capable of dealing with the people next to you. He's concerned with what you're doing with the knowledge that he's given you. Verse 31, for many days he appeared to those who had touched Jesus, who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Let's just keep reading. 34, and as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another Psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. You guys know, see what he's doing right now, right? He's taking the, the scriptures that they came together and basically read every week and he's giving them the proper interpretation of them. He's revealing to them the meaning of these things that they would read every week. For David, after he had served the purpose, verse 36, of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he, whom God raised up, did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Underline that verse. By Him, Jesus Christ, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Here's what Paul's doing in verses 33 through 39. These guys had a king that they really liked, and his name was David, right? And they idolized this king, and to this day they continued to idolize this king. And in these verses, Paul quotes here, it's to show them that Jesus, not David is the ultimate fulfillment of these prophecies. That Jesus, not David, is the ultimate king. That Jesus, not David, is the one being spoken about by David, through David. That Jesus is the better David. This is what he's trying to get across to him. 
And this brings us to our second point in verse 38 and 39 of encouragement. It is an encouragement that there is freedom from sin apart from the law. It is encouragement that there is freedom from sin apart from the law, which comes only through freedom from the law, which comes only through the resurrected Jesus who fulfilled the law for us. Christianity is not that Jesus makes salvation a possibility for us by merely helping us get better. Christianity is that Jesus secures salvation for us by being good for us. It is done. It is finished, as Jesus puts it. There was a question. We have this wonderful, it's so great seeing what's going on with our young people right now, what you're talking about, what you're seeing. We get to see the same things on um, uh, Sunday nights with the young adult group. Like that group is so cool. Every Sunday night, we have high school and college-age kids, about 15 to 20, anywhere in there, that meet upstairs, and we just dig into theology. Like we just we just talk about the things of God. And what these kids are bringing out and what they're taking in is insane. We're discipling these kids. There's like really cool stuff going on. There, there was this, this, this sweet gal that's been coming for a few weeks now last week, uh, had a question last week. And that question was this. What's the difference between Christians and Catholics? Now, don't, don't throw anything at me. I'm not, I'm not here to like insult Catholics. You know what I mean? I'm not here to like, pick on them. In fact, let me just start with this. I believe there's a ton of people in the Catholic Church that know Jesus, that are saved. All right? But her question was, what's the difference between these two? Like, why is there this thing? And I thought, well, there's a ton of reasons. Like, how much time do we have? You know what I mean? Like, it goes on and on and on. But I thought, what's like, if I could condense this thing down to, like, the essentials, like, what the main difference is, how do I do that? And I thought of these three words that Jesus said on the cross. This is the main difference between Christianity and Catholicism. It is finished. What Jesus accomplished, finished everything. It's done. It's done. Catholicism, you continue in hopes that it will be done. That's a vast difference. That's a chasm. And that's the reason there was a Protestant Reformation 500 years ago. It's because they believe that the scriptures do not support that Catholic idea. We believe that Jesus once for all was the sacrifice for sin to all who believe. Here's what it looks like. When I woke up this morning, I had an A plus on my report card. And when I go to bed tonight, no matter what kind of day that I have today, no matter how bad I blew it, I'm going to bed with an A-plus on my report card. When a Catholic wakes up, it's a blank report card. And it will be graded according to how they do. And that's scary. Because there is no one, according to the Bible, that's ever existed that has for themselves gotten an A-plus. My A-plus is secured because Jesus took the exam for me And then handed me that report card. And it's been filed away in the heavens. It's done. That's Christianity. That's the joy that we have and the hope that we have is that it is finished. 
It's Jesus plus nothing. Faith alone, through Christ alone, by grace alone, is my salvation. Not faith in Christ plus works. J.I. Packer said this. I, lo- I love this. I love this. It's kind of, I don't know, maybe it's worded a little weird. There is tremendous relief in knowing that God's love to me is based at every point on his prior knowledge of the worst about me. Let me say that again. There is tremendous relief in knowing that God's love to me is based at every point on the prior knowledge of the worst about me. In other words, I can't ever perform in any way that would cause him to think differently of me. Like he... He is, he is, he was, he is already committed to, to looking upon me with the love of a son because he has simply committed himself to it. He knows stuff that's worse about me than I know about myself. You know what I'm saying? And it's true of you too. And yet, while you were still a sinner, while you were yet sinners, while he saw the worst about you, he sent his son to die for you. It's amazing love. Amazing love. Verse uh, 40, 42. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. So here's the warning now that follows the encouragement of the gospel. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. The bad news which is what's being unpacked to these, now presented to these guys, the warning, is not based on if they live up to a certain standard of righteousness. The bad news is based upon if they fail to receive the good news. Do you see that? Young people, visitors, wherever you are, wherever you come from today, this is the part I want you to hear. The warning is not that you cannot produce righteousness. That's not what God expects. He expects you to believe and receive the good news of what He's done for you. That's where there's forgiveness. That's where there's righteousness. That's where there's a relationship with God that is actually able to take place. Is through faith. 42, as they went out, the people begged. Okay, sermon over. As the people went out, the people begged it, uh, or as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. That's pretty cool. You've got, you've got to talk about this stuff again. It sounds like they never heard it before. Doesn't it? And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God perseverance guys for the christian is not that we attempt to get holier and holier and holier and holier every day that's not perseverance in christianity perseverance for the christian is that we hold fast to the gospel of grace that's been preached to us until the end we wrap our our arms around the the leg of the cross and we do not let go until god takes us home that's what it is to persevere the holiness part, Holy Spirit takes care of that in us. It's not our business. 44 and 45. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, this is just so unlike them. 
They were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken of by Paul reviling him. Jealousy contradicts truth and creates opposition almost every time. Even in here, even in our homes, even in our workplaces, that's just what it does. Paul and Barnabas spoke out uh, boldly saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you since you thrust it aside and judge yourself unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we're going to go to the Gentiles. We're turning to the Gentiles. So the Lord has commanded us saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. Notice two groups here. Right? You have rejection to the gospel. You have reception of the gospel going on. Question, what's the difference in this group and that group? What is it that causes one party to reject and the other to receive? Look at the backside of 48. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. I got kicked out of a church once for this verse. Oh, I'm serious. I was in this church that prided themselves on expository Bible reading and teaching. And so we were in a men's study on a Saturday morning. And I was I was a really like immature like believer. Like I didn't like have any knowledge of anything or anything like that. I just but I was really like hungry for the word and wanting to learn the word and we we're sitting in this study and they were in this in this chapter this Saturday morning, about 15 dudes. And, and they're, they're going through this text and they just had a boatload of things to say about every single verse. They're just picking apart every verse. And this got read and it was just crickets. Like no one had nothing to say. Everyone literally sat and looked across the tables at each other. And after about five seconds of that silence, I said, well, I think this is a very interesting verse. And then I got jumped on, and then I got, that was the beginning of the end. I got sent out of the church. I didn't write it. God wrote, like, like God wrote it through Paul, or Luke, I'm sorry, not Paul. Through Luke, you know, like, it's not my deal. This brings us to encouragement number three. That one that got kicked me out of the church, that's encouragement number three. It is an encouragement that God alone saves. I'm convinced that if we consider the salvation that we have and that we love today and think to ourselves at any point on any level, I have what I have because I did this, we do not understand the gospel of grace. We have believed a gospel of self. We are believing at that point that we appointed ourselves to the favor of God. Self-appointment is not grace, though. It's merit. And Paul has something to say about that in Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9. It is by grace. Faith you have been saved through grace, and that is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone have something to brag about. If we self-appointed ourselves into the kingdom of God, then our citizenship there is ultimately a result of us. Not him. We have the right to be there. And I think you and I, I think we all know, none of us do. To appoint means to fix. It means to settle. And it is God doing the fixing and the settling 
according to this verse. That's the difference between these people that were saturated in the Scriptures and knew none of them and the people that knew nothing about the Scriptures and received the blessing of it all. God's the difference. God in eternity passed apart from these guys and what they would do, settled their salvation. This is not cruelty. And it is not mindless fatalism. This is grace. Free, unmerited, undeserved, gifted grace. And it is a glorious truth. Guys, I have days just like you do where I can't stand to be in my skin. Where everything is just so dark inside. And I'm always thinking to myself, well, I'm not supposed to feel like this. I'm not supposed to be like this. Like, I'm, I'm a child of God. You know what I mean? I'm supposed to have rainbows flying out my ears, you know? Because <laughs> that's what we get taught a lot of the times. And that's just not the reality, especially of the Christian life, which is the harder one than the non-Christian life. And there's days I just, I just can't stand being in myself with the depravity The stuff I see there, the ugliness and the battle that goes on. The darkness that still fills my heart so many times. But it is in those times, in those times it is this truth alone that lifts my hearts to the heavens. It is this truth alone that brings joy to me in my trials, peace in my doubts, and hope in my depression. That God has already accomplished everything for me. That He has settled it for me. That He has fixed it for me. That is a great divine truth. And that is an encouragement that will get you through your hardest days on this earth. That God appointed me to the position of co-heir with Christ in spite of me absolutely astounds me. And it is this that got me kicked out of a church. 49 to 52, let's finish this thing up. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. There's the hostility, right? Against the gospel. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and they went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Here's ultimately what we see in this text. This is the big idea, which we're going to continue to see as we move through the book of Acts. Okay, What we see here is a narrative of a divine tandem of the Great Commission. Okay, Man basically dedicating himself to the proclamation of the gospel and God causing sinners to be born again as a result of the gospel being proclaimed. We're going to see this over and over and over and over again. And so I am going to implore you the same way that we implore you week after week after week. Preach the gospel. When you leave here, you are entering your mission field. We are not here to be Americans. We are not here to be Republicans. We are not here to get rich. We are not here to be healthy. We are here to preach the gospel because people need it. It is why you exist. I've said this before and I want to I want to just mention it again in passing. Sharing the gospel is not when we just mention the word church. And it's not just when we mention the word God. And we see this again in this text. 
Okay, Those aren't bad words, and they can get us to a conversation about the gospel. There's nothing wrong with that. But sharing the gospel is when we preach Jesus crucified and risen for saviors, or for sinners. That was totally backwards. It is when we preach Jesus crucified and raised for sinners. Somehow, that message brings people to life when God saves them. So preach that one. This world does not need another therapist. It does not need another coach. This world needs a Savior. And you guys are the mailmen. Lord, thank you for encouraging hearts that, that, that need to be encouraged, God. Thank you that we can take what's written in your word and not have to add anything to it. What you say there, what you've provided us with in your truth is, is so strong and, and so capable of giving us everything that we need for life and godliness and encouragement. And so we thank you for preserving it for us and then for giving us such easy access to open it up any time where there are places that don't have that. And so we pray for those, those places, God, that you would empower them with your spirit, that you would speak to them through your spirit, that you would provide ways to get your word, the gospel of life, into those areas that are hostile. Thank you for allowing us to live in a place that currently isn't. Help us not to take advantage of that, but to take advantage of the fact that we get to open your Bible anytime. We get to get together and worship anytime. We get to talk about the goodness of your gospel and your glories anytime. Help us take advantage of that, God. Make us an on-fire church with the distribution of the true gospel. Thank you for speaking to us today, and thank you for putting up with us. In your son's name, amen.